Thank you, thank you, thank you. Those of you who cooperated and participated and remembered to wear red today. I wish you could be standing where I am presently. I'd let you preach. <laughs> Not only that, I wish you could see the great sea of red before us. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And for those of you who are in the radio congregation, you have missed it, but most everyone present today has cooperated in pinning upon them a red flame of fire. That is the symbol of Pentecost. And this particular idea that you are participating in today, as well as all of the children in our church school, that great multitude that is behind us in the other buildings and in class at the present time, they too have pinned on them flames of fire depicting the presence of the Holy Spirit. This was a plan that was concocted, dreamed of, and fulfilled under Edward Anderson's leadership with the members of the communicants class. I'm very grateful for, for their participation and your support. I don't think anybody around here has any question what day today is. And I think the Christian church, especially we of the Protestant faith, need to remind the world that Pentecost is one of the great holidays of the Christian church. It's really as important as Christmas and Easter. It's one of the big three. And I hope throughout this day you will take every opportunity and privilege to welcome and to wish those who understand and those who do not a very happy, happy Pentecost. Read with me now or follow along as we read from God's Word, the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. We're beginning to read at the 25th verse, which tells us some of the concepts that John recorded of Jesus when he spoke about the Holy Spirit. These things, said Jesus, I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go hence. A young graduate from the seminary had been at it only for a few years when he was asked what words he would like written on his epitaph. And he said, just two. When I die and my epitaph is engraved upon the tombstone, just put these two words. I tried. 
25 years later, when he was an eminent clergyman, he was again asked, do you want to change the wording of your epitaph? No, he said, but I want one word added. Right. I tried everything. If you can identify with that clergyman, if you feel that you have tried everything, everything, and still, life seems to be less than what she promises, then this sermon is for you. This sermon is for people who feel that they have tried everything, everything, but still there seems to be something lacking. You see, God expects us to produce. God expects us, I'm not quite sure if the word successful is right, but he expects us to produce. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Those are the words of the opening chapters of the Bible. God expects us to be of value to this world, but he never expected us to do it on our own. As Paul tells us, he has given unto us his spirit, who is a helper in our weakness. God never intended us to produce, multiply, and be prosperous and have dominion only on our own efforts. No, he has given to us himself. Himself in a form that is present in the world everywhere at the same time. God gave us of himself in the form of his Holy Spirit which has been since the beginning of time, but which was, had been revealed unto mankind in this powerful way only for the last near 2,000 years. And it was on this day, nearly 2,000 years ago, on the first 50th day after the first Easter, that God revealed himself in the form, in the presence, in the power of his Holy Spirit. You can read about it if you haven't been cooperating with us in Acts those opening chapters. It was a great day. As I said before, it's one of the greatest days in the Christian calendar. It is the day when we Presbyterian Protestants realize, reclaim, and remember that God who created the world, God who came down in the form of Jesus Christ, God is present with us everywhere in the world today by the power of his Holy Spirit. He's here. Our belief is that if you have been baptized in the Trinitarian faith, that is, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if you have confessed of your sins and publicly professed Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit, or Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he is alive in you right now. He is nearer than your own hands and feet. He is our constant companion. He's closer to you this very moment than that emblem which represents him and which is pinned to your clothing. Yes, he's here. Right here. Now, he has several functions. We get this from God's Word. John says he has specific functions to perform as he's right here. One of those, says the, 
Apostle John, Disciple John, he is a teacher. And please get the phrase right here in the 14th chapter of John. He is a teacher of all things. Notice please that adjective. All things. That means just not about Bible or theology. That means about the science, philosophy, literature, the social as well as the physical sciences. He teaches all things. Now I don't mean to take anything away from the academics. But our belief as Reformed Christians is simply this, that God creates everything. You and I, we may be very, very clever, but we create nothing. <laughs> nothing new is under the sun. Everything that has been, is now, or ever shall be has been a creation of God. He is the author and creator of all knowledge, all wisdom, all invention. The theory is that in due process and at the right time, he reveals that knowledge unto us. We don't really invent anything. All we do is discover that which he already has created. He is the one who has taught us through the power of his Holy Spirit about ourselves, about himself, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about arithmetic, about chemistry and physics, all of these things. He is the teacher. And the Holy Spirit is the agency of God that reveals at the right time, at the right place, in the right way, the knowledge that God wants us to have. We have a great example of this when up there at Caesarea Philippi, remember? Jesus said to his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Who am I? And the response came from Peter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Up to this time, no one, no one had recognized Jesus as the Christ. And for some reason or other, and I'm sure Peter, if you would have been there and have asked him, you, you couldn't tell why, but he blurts out, Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he indicates he is the one who has revealed this unto you. When you come upon some new discovery, some new bit of knowledge, something that has been blinded to you and suddenly it's as clear as the lone star in a thousand midnights. And you wonder, how could I have been so stupid? Folks, don't blame it on yourself. That is the action of the Holy Spirit teaching. Teaching you all things. That's one of his jobs. He's a teacher of all things. Secondly, he's a reminder he is a reminder of all things that Jesus has said to us. Not just some of the things, but all things. He is a reminder to the memory. One of the things that makes us unique, different, outstanding, is our memories. The memory. The memory is very unique. 
Pathologists really can't tell you where it is within the body. The mind, the heart, blood system, gallbladder, wherever it is. But the memory is something that is unique in our lives. And we all know we can't get along very well without the memory. And all of us dread the day when our memories will begin to fail us. And it's a very pathetic day. And it can happen to any of us at any time. And to some of us it's happening right now. And the pathetic thing about it is, you see, is once you begin to lose your memory, you have no point of reference. No point of reference whatsoever. Yesterday is today, today is 25 years ago. No point of reference. And the pathetic thing about it is that the rest of the body functions just as it should. The feet walk, the hands work, the mouth talks, the ear hears, the eye sees, but the memory doesn't work. And the memory does not remember. And that means a little bit of premature death. I would not want you to believe, and please do not misunderstand, that when you begin to lose your memory, it means the Holy Spirit is leaving you. No, I'm not saying that. And don't just blame your forgetfulness on the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's our own stupidity. But what I'm trying to relate is an analogy here that God works through our minds. And God's word, when it is fed into our mind, it comes into a memory bank. God's Word, when you hear it preached, when you read it in the devotional life, one of the reasons I'm for memorization of Scripture, not only for young people but for adults as well, is that you are constantly feeding the memory bank. When you hear the words of Jesus, even if you don't fully understand them, they go into that memory bank. And then if you read the 16th chapter of John and tie it together with the 14th chapter of John, you'll find that the Holy Spirit's job is to convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. How I interpret that is with this great background of God's Word in the memory. By the agency of His Holy Spirit, those words which are computerized within the mind suddenly are remembered. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings this backlog of Scripture to mind and helps to serve as a basis or criteria for decisions. When suddenly, you see, you are convicted that this is a sin, that what I am doing or he or she has done is sin, you know that, you see, without any hesitation, because the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the words of God which maybe you heard a long, long time ago. Someone who has never heard the words of Jesus, you see, really cannot identify sin. He's not immoral. He's amoral. He has no background. He has no memory, you see, no reference point. It's the Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance the words of Jesus, which are back in here, that enables us to instantly recognize sin. 
And when an individual sitting in church or reading his Bible or suddenly even out having a good time realizes that something is wrong and he is alienated from his God, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. When you must make judgments, and folks, we make them every day. You made a judgment when you decided to come to church today instead of staying home. But when we make judgments, you see, and we must make them if we're going to be responsible Christians, we make them, you see, with the help of the Holy Spirit reflecting upon the Word of God which is back here in our memories. When you want to say without a question in a mind, without a question at all, this is right. When you want to know righteousness, you do so with the Holy Spirit interpreting that Word of God which only He can bring to our remembrance. That's how it works. You see, He is a reminder. He is a reminder of all the things that Jesus has said unto us. And when you can say, I am a sinner, or that is right, or that is wrong, Folks, that's the Holy Spirit. He is doing this for you. He's also a guide. Not only a teacher and a reminder, a guide. For he shall lead you, guide you into all the truth. The belief is, you see, that God in the person of his Holy Spirit is leading our steps one at a time. He's leading us. He led you here today. He's leading you in your destiny to the conclusion for which you were created. He never draws a great big map, nor does he talk about what's going to happen next week, sometimes never next hour. It just gives a little bit of light at a time so that we can take one step after another. And our belief is he's guiding us. He's guiding us. It's a good thing he doesn't tell us what's ahead. I don't think we could take it. But step by step, he guides us to all the truth, which includes the reason for our creation. So he's a teacher. He's a reminder. He's a leader, a guide. He's our constant companion. He's right here. He never leaves you or forsakes you. He's always, always trying individually to teach us, to remind us, to guide us. But he'll never force us. He's there. He's right here. Right this very moment. He's closer than hands and feet, constant companion. But he will never force himself upon you. Never. Under any conditions will he ever make you burn. Will he make you to remember? Will he force you to walk a certain way? Now, he has the power to do this, but he doesn't. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
He respects our freedom. And he'll never make us do anything we don't want to do. We have to respond. In other words, if he's going to teach us all things, bring all things to our remembrance, and guide us into all the truth, all the fulfillment for which God's created us, we have to cooperate with him. That's the only way. That's the number one ground rule. That's the main rule of the game. And you can say goodbye, good luck, so long, we'll see you never again. Or you can say, come, almighty King, Holy Spirit, truth divine, teach me, remind me, guide me, O oh, thou great Jehovah. It's up to you. But if you are going to let him do these things for you, three things you must do. One, you've got to give him time. Time. The Holy Spirit needs your time. If he's going to teach and remind and guide. It means you have to give him time with his word. You've got to get to know this word and allow this word to come into you. And that takes time. You've got to take time in prayer and talk with him. And to ask him questions. As Reverend Mr. Camel did this morning in our pastoral prayer. You've got to take time. You've got to test the spirit. Because you see there's other spirits out there. You've got to test them to see if the Spirit is God. You have to take time to include Him in your thinking process. You must take time to realize He's right here. There are thousands of people who are joining us today through the miracle of radio and in essence are companions, you see, with us in this worship service. But you and I don't know that, you see. Somebody could be traveling in their automobile in, in West Virginia. Got a note last week from south of Morgantown, West Virginia. Riding in their automobile, joining with us. But we don't know that. Yet there are companions because they're hearing the very words which we hear. It's only when they sit down and call us up or write us or inform us that they are with us that in essence we are together. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. He can be your constant companion. He can hear you. He can walk with you. He can see you. But unless you reach out and give him time and talk to him, allow his words to penetrate your life. He's not there, even though he's constantly closer than hands and feet. It's only when you give him time. Secondly, you've got to give him freedom. And this is the most difficult part of allowing the Spirit to have your freedom. It's downright spooky, I want to tell you. I had a prisoner stop by a home this past week, and I could tell something was thrilling him and upsetting him. He said to me, Dick, he says, I think I'm under the conviction of the Spirit. And he said, I don't know whether to get excited and be thrilled or be scared to death. And he began to relate what's happening in his prayer life and the experience that's coming to him. And when he ended up, I said, Brother, you sure have him, or rather, he has you. It's frightening. Remember when Jesus told Nicodemus about the Spirit, he said, Nicodemus, he's like the wind. 
He's like the wind. You can't tell where he's coming and where he's going, and that's spooky. And remember when the Holy Spirit did reveal himself at Pentecost, it was not only with tongues of fire, but it was with a rush of a mighty wind. Those people in Pentecost were in the midst of a windstorm, a windstorm. You and I like the soft breezes of this past week, haven't they been tremendous, you see? But we don't like windstorms. But if you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit, you have to be willing to be in the midst of storm and of fire. Read the second chapter of Acts again. Look at some of the words. They wondered. They were perplexed. They were amazed. They asked questions. What does this mean? What shall we do? We sometimes think that God is present when everything is still and peaceful and happy. Don't believe that. When God is here in the presence of the Holy Spirit, there's turmoil, there's upheaval, there's a strong wind, and there's fire. And that's frightening. And the third thing you have to give is obedience, time, freedom, obedience. And that's difficult. Because we'd like to tell the Holy Spirit what to do sometimes, and the game's not played that way. Uh-uh. <laughs> we are obedient unto Him. The Bible says there's all type of sin, and all sin is forgivable except one type, and that is the sin against the Holy Spirit. People have argued for years what this sin is, and I'm not sure I can add to the confusion, except I think what it is is when you say no to the Holy Spirit, you stand in jeopardy of committing an unforgivable sin. The Holy Spirit is present with us, and if we do not listen to him, you see, we automatically disqualify ourselves from being led by him, which means when you sit here in church and some new teaching, or some new revelation, or some judgment, or some righteousness comes unto you, some job you're being called to do, and you say no, you stand in the jeopardy of committing an unforgivable sin. You must follow him. You must. If you're going to allow his constant companionship to help you in life. Little boy went out trying to learn how to sail with his grandfather. He said, Father, grandfather, how does this work? Boy says, the grandfather says, Well, you put up the sail. Yes, but, but how does the wind do it? Son, I don't know but I know how to hoist a sail. I can't explain to you all that the Holy Spirit does, but I can tell you. Give him time. Give him freedom. Give him your obedience. And every day will be happy Pentecost Day for you. Father, Thank you for your constant companionship. Help us to rely upon you. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of you and dwell in our hearts forever. Amen.